0: I have a material witness on an aggravated battery uh, with a hangover... Supreme Court of the State of Arizona in April of 1965, after this court's decision in Escobedo, affirmed. Thank you, gentlemen. The case is submitted. We'll hear arguments next year in uh, Batson against Kentucky. Welcome to Bears, the Bar and Beyond, the Baylor Pre-Law Podcast. And in episode number two, we'll be looking at some generalized advice for junior and senior students. Episode one relates to freshmen and sophomores. Uh, It's generalized advice and everyone is encouraged to listen to the relevant episode prior to coming to Pre-Law Advising so that when you do come, we can focus on talking about the issues specific to your individual application. In the context of juniors, you're going to fall into one of two categories. Students who have decided they're going to take a gap between law school and, and college, going to get some work experience and and then take the LSAT down the road and then apply later on whether that's a year or two and down the road this episode is going to focus however on juniors who are intending to matriculate at law school the fall after they graduate and for those students we need to be starting to think about our spring semester the LSAT itself is going to require of you 3 to 6 months of genuine and sustained preparation and it's not really a test that you can shortcut and it's not a test you can cram for and so we can't uh, we can't sell ourselves short on preparation what that means is that we need to have a lighter course load in the spring semester because what we don't want to see is a situation where you're taking 17 hours of classes and then trying to add 10 to 15 hours of LSAT preparation every week because what will happen is your grades will suffer and they're important but so too Will your LSAT preparation. We also need to be able to plan ahead. So we need to think about when it is we're actually planning to take the test. Now, for those of you who are planning to apply so that we matriculate the following fall, we we're really looking at June, July or September. They're not the only dates available. I don't want to stress that, but they're the ideal dates for someone who's following that path. During that spring semester we are also going to be doing some kind of formal preparation. The kind of folks who can prepare using only a book. uh, They're out there, but they are generally the exception rather than the rule. And so I want to encourage students to take their preparation seriously and to consider doing some kind of formal preparation. That doesn't mean you need to go and spend $2,000. There are online courses that are much cheaper than the in-person courses, which tend to be more expensive. Uh, But there's also the option of doing a preparation with the Khan Academy, who have entered into um, an arrangement with the Law School Admissions Council. And you can do free preparation through the Khan Academy. So that's an option. Um, There are a large number of companies that have online courses, and they give you some flexibility in terms of when you study and how you study. But the point is, we do need to be doing some kind of formal preparation. We also want to aim high with a score range of 120 to 180 We ideally want to be aiming for scores of 160 or higher. We also need to build in a buffer in terms of when we finish our preparation and when we take the test. If we fall into the trap of doing a formal preparation course and then taking the LSAT the following week, what will happen is you will get a score that doesn't reflect what you're truly capable of. Now, the LSAT, I think, is, is best thought of like a language. You can learn a language, but you can't do it in two weeks. You've got to give yourself time, and you've got to think in a particular way, and the LSAT is is very analogous to, to that. You've got to finish those courses and then allow yourself time to actually practice the test under time conditions. The courses themselves will help you to do things like identify questions and to answer questions correctly, but then you need to give yourself time to develop the ability to answer the questions correctly, and quickly. Remember each section is going to be 35 minutes so timing is very important. I say three to six months but I've also got uh, or worked with a number of students who have spent much longer than that, say nine months, sometimes longer. But they do so because they know the ultimate goal is to get the score that opens up admissions opportunities at their schools of choice but it also opens the door to scholarships. Your LSAT score is going to be the most important factor of your application. It's by no means the only the only thing that law schools will consider, but it is certainly the most important. In the context of law school scholarships, it is almost exclusively the only factor that law schools will consider when they are deciding to award scholarships. There are a handful of schools that have scholarships awarded on other criteria, but the vast majority of them are going to award them based on your LSAT. So it is vitally important. When you're deciding... Uh, Whether to to use some kind of paid formal program if you don't use the Khan Academy. Uh, Be a good consumer. Ask good questions. Contact the company. If it sounds like uh, they're just trying to get you money, then that's a a company that you could probably move past. Ask things like, how long do you have access to the material? What if you take the test and you don't get a score that you like? Can you work through the course again? What are the uh, percentage increases that people are seeing between when they start and when they complete that test. Be a good consumer. Ask good questions. The important thing, I think, to remember is you should only take the test when you're actually ready and not before. You can take the test multiple times, but it's rarely a good idea. People often don't improve their score as much as they anticipate they will, uh, and it's usually because they take the test as a retake too soon. Take the test when you're ready. You'll know when you're ready when you're consistently scoring at least two to three points above the score you know you need because it's not uncommon for you to drop a few points on test day. So taking the test when ready is far more important than you taking the test in July. The LSAT cannot be overstated in terms of its importance. Can you use a book? Yes, uh, but I think it's risky for you to prepare using only a book. Uh, The other thing is when you start using multiple sources... There, you, you start to create um, capacity for confusion. There are there are multiple ways to diagram, for example, a question, and if you start using too many different sources, then you can create bad habits and confusion. So you can certainly use a book as a, a soft introduction to the LSAT, but I would uh, I would encourage you to to do some kind of formal preparation, whether that's guided through an online course or an in person course. Can you get tutoring for the LSAT? Yes, you can, Uh, but it tends to be expensive and I think it's a misallocation of your resources and time if the only preparation you're doing is private tutoring, especially when there are things like the Khan Academy that are free out there as well as a large number of very affordable online courses. Why is the timing of the test relevant? Well, we've talked about the test in the context of June, July and September. It's offered multiple times throughout the course of the year. The number of times it will be offered is increasing all the time. Uh, June, July, and September, however, are the most popular because the application season itself is going to open, roughly speaking, on the 1st of September. And that's going to continue through until March or February of the following year. Now, that's important because law schools use what's called rolling admission. And that basically means the sooner you apply, the better your prospects there's more seats available, so on and so forth. So we want to aim to have our application in as soon as possible. But if the season opens in September, that doesn't mean that if you apply in October that you're somehow at a huge disadvantage. Really what we want to do is we want to aim to have our applications completed by Thanksgiving of that year. So in summary, if you are a junior, thinking about going immediately to law school after you graduate, like course load in the spring, 10 to 15 hours, dedicated, uncompromising preparation for the LSAT. Take the test when you're ready. If that's June or July or September, great. But if it turns out that you have to take it later, it's better to take it later and get a good score or the score that you want than to take it because you feel like you had to at that particular point in time. You can take the test multiple times, but it's rarely a good idea. If you're in that situation where you're considering a retake, reach out to the pre-law office and we'll happily help you work through when uh, is the best time for you to do that and how that will affect um, your application. Schools are going to see all of the test results that you get. They will generally take the highest score, but they will see all of them. And so it's best that we just have one score for them to consider. And hopefully that's your best score. Moving on to seniors who are actually applying right now. Um, They'll be aware of that 1st of September kickoff date. And we are right uh, now in the fall, in the middle of application season. For students who are in the process of actually applying to law school right now, your application is going to consist, obviously, of your completed LSAT test result, your um, GPA that's been calculated by the LSAC, and you've submitted all your transcripts from both here at Baylor, any other universities that you've attended, community colleges and summer classes at those community colleges, but also dual credit classes from high school. So we need to get all of those transcripts. If you haven't done that already, you need to move on that fairly quickly. It can take time for those different institutions to process the requests for transcripts, but it can also take a minimum of about two weeks for the LSAC to actually process those once they're received. It's imperative that those transcripts are submitted by the institution to the LSAC. If they come to you and you try to submit them, the LSAC will not process them. So bear that in mind. So we've got our LSAT score and we've got our GPA. Now we need to look at the supporting documents. They essentially consist of your personal statement, your resume, uh, any additional essays. So things like why this law school. Um, there There is scope for you to do a diversity essay and also an addendum. And we'll address each of these in some more detail, as the series continues, but personal statements will be the focus of episode number three, and folks who are in the process of preparing theirs now are encouraged to listen to that but essentially, what it is is it's a replacement for your interview. law schools have too many applications for them to interview in person each and every candidate, so the personal statement is an opportunity for you to show them who you are. What kind of person are you what What kind of experience have you had in life? And importantly, to leave them with a very clear understanding of why it is you want to go to law school. It's generally one to two pages, double-spaced. There are schools that will give you some flexibility. So Baylor Baylor Law School will give you up to three pages. Places like UC Berkeley will give you up to four. Each school uh, is going to have slightly different requirements. It is imperative that you read each school's admission criteria and that you comply with those. But we can happily work on the uh, assumption that one to two pages is the norm. When that's double-spaced that's not a lot of writing and so it's really important that we are doing our very best work and that we are explaining to them briefly and clearly who we are and, and why law school's on our target list. Your resume, again we will look at this in an individual episode but it's essentially up to two pages. Its primary focus is your education And it is thought of as being predictive as opposed to historical. You're not trying to show them all of the things that you have done that show that you have the experience to be a law student. Instead, what we're emphasizing is how what you've done predicts your likelihood of being a successful law student. We need to include things like how many hours a week did you um, commit to each um, community service commitment or student organization, because even if it's two hours, multiple two-hour entries are going to add up and they begin to paint a picture of someone who can handle a lot of responsibility, who can manage their time and handle a heavy workload, all of which are going to be important in law school. So resumes predictive as opposed to historical. Um, I'm happy to help students with those. Either come to one of the career and professional development lattes and resumes workshops or you can send those to the Pre-Law Office, again, pre-law at baylor.edu. Please do so in a word format, and I'll happily help you work through those. We mentioned optional, essay, optional essays, and frequently they are things like, why this law school? Uh, places like Michigan, for example, will give you several topics to choose from. The important thing to remember is, even though it's optional, it really isn't. Um, it's it's an opportunity for you to have uh another chance to talk about who you are and to show them how you've got something really beneficial to add to the class. If you pass up that opportunity, um, you are making it much harder for your application to be accepted, especially when so many other people are going to be submitting those essays. The important thing to remember too with respect to the optional essays and also personal statements is law schools are going to be looking at that as an example of your very best work. So there is that writing sample that you'll do in the LSAT. They'll read that. So it's important that you you take that seriously in the context of the test, but they're not going to be looking at that as an example of your best work. With your personal statement and with your optional essays, they are going to be looking at that. And so it's very important that it's clear and it's concise and that it's flawless in terms of its grammar. Diversity essays are optional. And really the focus is, What kind of experience have you had and and how does that allow you to add something to the class? Uh, A lot of people will look at it and say, this is purely a demographics exercise. And and that's part of it. But it doesn't doesn't, uh, include the entirety of it. So if you're on the fence about whether you should write one of those, again, reach out to us and we can talk about whether that's a suitable thing for you. One of the reasons you may not do it is because you've talked about your... um, diverse perspective in your personal statement, because one of, the, one of the rules is we don't want to repeat information in multiple places of our application, because remember, they will read all of your application. And so repeating information is just wasting space that could be used for some other helpful piece of information that furthers your application. Addendums are also an option. An addendum is really a very brief, no more than a couple of paragraphs, where we deal with What is perceived as being a negative element of your application? That might be an issue regarding academic integrity. That might be a minor in possession charge at some point during your college career. That might be the fact that at some point you did poorly academically and that's reflected on your transcript. And we may need to deal with that in in an addendum. Generally, we use it for negatives. There are some exceptions where we might use it for a more positive thing, something like explaining what the University Scholars Program or the BIC Program is or the Honors College. If you're considering writing an addendum, whether that's for something like those academic programs or for something that might reflect poorly on you, reach out to me and we can talk about how best to do those addendums. But the bottom line is, any good addendum, especially when it, well, specifically when it deals with what is perceived as a negative, uh, must follow the following three rules. You've got to identify the problem. You have to be very clear that you own your role in the creation of that problem. And then you have to explain to the reader why and how you've taken steps to make sure that that problem doesn't present itself again in the future, either at law school or in legal practice. Uh, We mentioned the GRE and we mentioned um, some of the alternative tests that are available. Again, it's a small number of schools. I I think you need to give some very serious consideration before you go down that path because, again, it's going to be testing very different skills. If you are a senior who got an LSAT score that either doesn't seem to match up with your GPA or it's a score that you're not happy with, you could apply and see what happens. Uh, But you also want to make sure that you're going to school in a context that makes sense is it in the right geographic area are you paying too much Uh, and if the case is that you didn't do as well as you had hoped or as you need to to go where you ultimately want to go to the alternative is simply to take a gap year or two to go and get some valuable work experience that's going to help you when you do apply but it also gives you the opportunity to prepare for the LSAT with some additional time and when it's the only thing you're studying. There's something to be said for that. It's very difficult to study for the LSAT. It's not impossible, but it's very difficult to do it when you have too many other commitments, whereas when you're working outside of your work hours, you're not studying um, additional material, so you you can dedicate some of your emphasis, or all of your emphasis, to preparing for the LSAT. One of the questions I get from students who have started to consider this is, what am I supposed to do? What kind of job do I need to get? The good news is you have an awful lot of flexibility. You do not need to get a job in a law firm. Law schools don't expect it. They know that a lot of those jobs are going to go to law students. Really what you need to do is you need to get some kind of experience in a professional setting and then you need to be able to draw a connection between that job and law school and a a desire to be in the legal profession. Now, teaching is a great way to go and get that experience. Uh, accounting, working in real estate, any number of jobs um, will allow you to be able to draw that connection to get helpful experience. But it's also going to make you more employable. It's going to make you more attractive to law firms and you're also going to gain some trust with your clients because of that additional experience. You'll also be a better lawyer because you'll look at problems from a slightly different perspective. If you're in a situation where you have an LSAT score that you don't think is where it needs to be, again, please reach out to us and we can talk about what your options are. That, uh, that basically brings us to the end of this week's episode. Uh, if you have further questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to the Pre-Law office uh, by way of email at prelaw at baylor.edu. Please also remember that we've got uh, our Pre-Law website, which is baylor.edu slash prelaw there's a ton of great information there but also a word of encouragement to continue to check our weekly updates where we include all the information about advising opportunities uh, lsat workshops and practice tests guest speakers scholarships and even job opportunities thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week Uh, we're in episode three we'll be looking at how to put together a winning personal statement